Let's turn our Bibles to Second um, Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 10 to 17, but our focus this morning will be verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 10 to 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my, my steadfastness, my persecution, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that we can sit under your word and hear you speak to us this morning. Thank you for um, the testimony that you um, have just given us through Vuyo. Thank you, Father God, um, because it's a demonstration of your grace but it's also a demonstration um, of what your word does um, when it's accompanied by your spirit working in our hearts. So we ask for the same grace this morning, that you'll be with us, that you will soften our hearts so that we'll hear you speak to us, that, Father God, we will change when you call us to change, that we will repent when you call us to repent that we will obey you when you want us to obey you and we'll praise you when you want us to praise you. So, Father God, speak through me. Let me be um, a little vessel that you can use to speak to your people this morning. We ask for your spirit to help us. Um, We ask that our hearts um, will receive your word with gladness. We ask that our minds will... Um, quieten down so that we will hear you speak clearly. 
We ask you, Father God, that we will receive your word with gladness. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I read a book by, um, I think it's father and son, called The Hendrix. The Hendrix, it's two men who've written um, a book. Um, it's called Living by the Book. They ask a few questions, but before they do, they write, the great tragedy among Christians today is that too many of us are under the word of God, but not in it for ourselves. There's no question that believers need, need, need to sit under the, the teaching of the word of God, but that ought to be a stimulus, not a substitute for getting into it ourselves. So I want to ask you this morning, who reads the Bible? Who reads the Bible? And I know you read the Bible, I know you do, but who really, really reads the Bible? Who studies the Bible? We do know that we own copies of the Bible. You know, we read them on occasion. And we even bring them to church. But do we study them? Do we study uh, uh, these Bibles? Why is it that people do not get into Scripture themselves to understand it and to see if... It changes our lives to see the impact that scripture has on our lives. Why is it that we do not read the Bible as often um, as we should and we must? And I'm sure there's a number of reasons why we do not do that. Um, I'm going to name a few reasons and I'm going to ask you to determine whether one of these reasons or more apply um, to you. Some of the reasons that we give or that we have for not reading our Bibles or for not studying our Bibles will be um, that the meaning, you know, so um, one of the reasons will be I need something that works. I need something that works, which means I need something that's relevant. You know, the Bible is not relevant to issues that I deal with today. So give me something that works and I will read it. So the implication is the Bible does not or is not able to address issues that I face today. It is an old book that has become irrelevant. It is archaic, you know, it does not apply to us today. There's a coin that was coined by C.S. Lewis and Owen Barfield, his friend. It's known as chronological snobbery. This refers to a widely held view that whatever belonged to an earlier time is inferior to the present time by virtue of its temporal location. It is captured by the saying, trade is bad and the latest is the greatest. Tradition is bad and um, the latest is the greatest, which means, you know, the Bible is tradition, it's old, um, it's bad, it's lost its relevance, it does not apply to us today. Plus, we live in a postmodern world 
where truth has become relative. Um, there's uh, many truths. There's no one absolute truth. And truth is what applies to me. Truth is what I feel to be true. Uh, truth is what I think to be uh, true. Anything else is irrelevant as long as it's not true. So I'm the one that, I'm the one that defines what truth is. So we do not read the Bible because there's no truth in it that's relevant to us. We seek other truths. It reminds us of Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their eyes. And we have a group of people that do not read or study the Bible because they do not know how. They do not know how, um, which means they don't have the technique of studying the Bible. You know, they'll say things like, um, I read, but I don't understand. So I would rather just wait until I come to church on Sunday and hear the preacher preach. Um, that's the only chance that I've got to hear and understand the word of God. Plus, the culture within which we find ourselves does not help because it's such a visual culture. We don't read a whole lot. And so reading is slowly but surely disappearing. So we do not get into the habit of reading and understanding the Word of God ourselves. We've got another group that says, well, I'm just a layman. I'm just a layman. I've not studied Greek. I've not studied Hebrew. Um, the Bible is too deep. It's too intense. I can't understand it. Um, almost like I've got to be a professional um, to be able to understand the Bible. Uh, we've got those. I'm uneducated. I'm not clever like the rest of the people that are able to study the Bible. We've got that, that group as well. And we've got yet another group that says, I do not have time. Um, we're going to have coffee uh, after the service. One of the things that your brother or your sister will say when you ask them, how are you doing or how your week is, it's been busy. It's been busy. Everybody is busy. So I am busy. I do not have time to study the Bible. But what that implies is... Um, the Bible is not on my list of priorities. You know, I've got 30 things to do, and the Bible is number 27. So it's right at the back, and I just don't have time to study the Bible. It is a matter of priorities. Is the Bible a priority? Um, is it that important to me that I feature um, it as a priority in my life? There's another group that's genuine um, in their quest um, to want to know more. And they say, well, I have doubts about the Bible. I admire the Bible for its literary genius. I love stories. I, so I read the stories of the Bible, but I don't think they're true. I don't believe in Jesus' miracles. Um, I don't believe that he's died and resurrected. I don't believe um, in Jonah and the fish. I don't believe all these things. But I just think it's a great book. It improves my vocabulary. Um, it just, it's just an inspiring book that helps you um, 
uh, want to become a better person. These are asking uh, this question, is the Bible credible? Is it credible? Is it trustworthy? Can it be um, trusted? Can it be reliable? Can it be reliable? Well, Paul, in his um, letter to Timothy that we've just read, answers these questions. He answers um, these questions, and I hope um, as we delve into um, an exposition of um, these two pass- uh, these two verses, you'll see how he answers these these questions. But first, let me give you a bit of um, the background of this book, um, of this letter to Timothy. So Paul writes to Timothy. This is the second letter that he's writing um, to Timothy. This is just before um, his death. And so he senses that his time um, is near. So he writes this letter as some sort of a, a last testament or his will to Timothy who had become his son. He could have said a lot of things. You know, we do know the life of Paul. We are acquaint, uh, acquainted with the works of Paul. He could have outlined his accomplishments, but he does not do that. He um, writes to Timothy about what is first and foremost in his heart. He wants Timothy to be prepared for the work that lies ahead, for the work of the ministry. He wants Timothy to endure, to endure um, um, the suffering of being a minister of the gospel and to be faithful to the truth that has been deposited to him. If we were to give um, this epistle a title, we'll say, uh, persevere in the proclamation of the gospel. So he would say to Timothy, persevere in the proclamation of the gospel. So he wants to encourage and exhort Timothy um, to stand firm in the difficult road that lies ahead. Indeed, from the, from the beginning, he's been encouraging Timothy, right? He's been encouraging and exhorting Timothy. And, you know, he comes to chapter 3, He's pointing out that um, scriptures, in scriptures, Timothy has everything that he needs to carry out the work of the ministry, to do everything. He's equipped to do everything that God has called him to do. But Paul does not mince his words in this letter. He does not um, mince his words. Um, he makes sure that Timothy understands that um, what lies ahead is a big task. It is a big task that lies ahead. And there's no safety in numbers here. There's no safety in numbers that Timothy speaks to, uh, uh, Paul speaks to, Tim, uh, writes to Timothy and he says, you know, these two people have deserted me. These men who had seemed to understand the gospel, who had seemed to embrace the work of the Lord had now vanished. You know, they've gone their way and they have deserted me. So he senses that Paul, uh, uh, Timothy will be the only one remaining to do the work of the Lord. So he's not going to have numbers supporting him to carry out 
this work. And so he has to equip him. He has to um, charge him. He's got to instruct him in the way that he's supposed to go. Timothy will increasingly become a lone voice um, as men follow their own paths. He identifies those men and he says, you know, they, they corrupt um, and they disqualified uh, from the faith um, and they disqualified, obviously, uh, from the ministry. And he's going to reach a high point in chapter 4 um, when he um, charges Timothy to preach the word. And this is like the high point. This is like the crescendo of the whole chapter. He charges Timothy to preach the word. Not only preach the word, but also entrust this word into um, other faithful men as well. But to do this, Timothy must be clear in his mind. He must be aware of the responsibility that he carries. But not only that, he must be aware of the resources that he carries. Resources that are before him. And that's what Paul wants him to know. And some of the commitments that Paul calls Timothy to or, 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 or makes Timothy aware of are, you know, Second uh, Timothy 1.6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So he reminds uh, Timothy of his own responsibility here, the responsibility to flame, fame, uh, uh, fan into flame the gift of God which is in him through the laying on of hands. In one um, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed of the gospel message. Um, in fact, three times he would say to, to Timothy in this chapter, he would encourage Timothy not to be ashamed, not to be ashamed, um, just in chapter 1. And he would say also, follow, keep the pattern of sound words. Keep the pattern, follow the pattern of sound words. You do not have to be creative. You do not have to be clever. Just stick to what you have always known. That Stick to what you've always professed. Remain confident in what you've been taught. There's no need to be creative. There's no need to look at what's the latest, what's going on now. Just stick to what you have been taught. Remain confident in what you've believed. It reminds me of the hymn um, um, that some of you may um, may know here. It says, Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Holy, holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us through sacrifice. Oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Or let. So Paul is basically saying, stick to the ancient words. There's nothing else that works. This is it. This is it. Not only is he um, supposed to just look at the work of the ministry, but he's got to take care of himself too. He's got to take care of, of himself. He could be shipwrecked morally and doctrinally. So he needs to take care of that too. He says to Timothy, flee from youthful passion. 
flee from youthful passion. This is Second Timothy two um, twenty two. And he says to him, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Work hard. Work hard. Sorry. Work hard. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. Work hard, Timothy. And he would say also, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, chapter 2 verse 2. That's a long list. That's a long list. And that's the list that I made. It's not even exhaustive. So Timothy could be overwhelmed with all these things that he has to do. There's just so many things for this young man that he has to do. He could feel overwhelmed and very discouraged. And that is why Paul would begin in chapter 2. He would say, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Much as you've got these responsibilities, there's a grace that's available to you. Strengthen yourself in the grace of Jesus Christ because he's the one that enables you to carry out all these responsibilities that lie before you. But when we come to chapter 3 also, we also realize that Timothy uh, 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 Timothy has got to pay attention to the word of God. If he he's going to do what he ought to do, uh, if he's going to do what he ought to do, he's going to, for example, discharge the you know this ministry into the hands of faithful men. He's got to believe in the authority, the sufficiency of Scripture. He's got to believe he's going, if he's going to carry out all these responsibilities that lie before him. If he's going to not have to be clever and creative and all these things that people do. If he's going to stay focused on the work that God has called him to do, he's going to have to believe, pay attention to the sufficiency, the supremacy, the inerrancy of Scripture. So here, in verses 16 and 17, Paul shows us um, two things. There's two things that he wants um, to show us. You know, two reasons for looking into the book. You know, he's encouraging Timothy to look into the scripture. And he's encouraging us this morning um, to look into um, this scripture, to look into the book. So the text that lies ahead um, in front of us gives us two reasons, two reasons to never stop looking at the book. Number one, uh, the origin of Scripture. Number two, the profitability of Scripture. The origin of Scripture. Paul says, let me just go back to verse 10. You know, he, he says, just to give a bit of context, he says, you, however, have followed my, t- you know, you, Timothy, have followed my, uh, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my, my steadfast, uh, st- steadfastness, my persecution, persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all 
who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation um, through faith um, in Christ. So he's basically saying, you know, Paul, uh, uh, Paul says to Timothy, pay attention to this. Pay attention to um, the sacred writings that have given you salvation and are helping you in your sanctification. You know, they give you sal- salvation. Um, it, it, it's to, through the preaching of the word. It's, it's, it's through these sacred writings that your uh, salvation came about. And it is through the very uh, sacred writings that your salvation, your, your sanctification um, will come about and continue in these things, continue in these things. And in verse 16, he'll say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first thing that I want us to look at is the origin of Scripture. You know, it, verse 16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So Paul would say, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. If you're going to do all these things that you are required to do, pay attention to the fact that Scripture comes from God. It's just not stories. It's just not human inventions. It's just not stuff that developed. It's, it, it comes from God. It finds its, its, it has its origin uh, from, from God. And he, Paul is not the only one that, that says this. Peter says the same thing in Second Peter 1.20. He says, Peter says, you know, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It does not come from some man or woman interpreting dreams or stuff that comes from the air. But no, no, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the writings of Scripture. Everything that you read, Timothy, comes from God. It, 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 although uh, God used man, to write scripture, he used the personalities and, and the, 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 you know, he, he, he used different men with their own unique personalities, but it was God superintending the writing of these words. So pay attention to the fact that they do not originate with men, but they originate with God. So the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of them, all these books of the Bible, all these 66 books of the Bible originate with God and not with man. We see um, Paul in First Timothy uh, 5.18. He uses the same word, scripture, graphe. He uses the same scripture um, that he uses in verse 3.16 um, to um, quote something from the Old Testament. And he says... First Timothy 5.18, he says, For Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox 
when he treads our grain. This is Deuteronomy 25.4. So he refers to um, this verse in uh, Deuteronomy 25.4, and he says, For Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. And he goes on to say, The laborer deserves his wages. This he quotes Luke 10.7, meaning that he recognizes both the Old Testament and the New Testament as Scripture. And the Apostle Peter does the same thing. He does the same thing in Second Peter 3.16. He speaks about some of the writings of Paul, and he says, he says there are some things that Paul, uh, uh, that Paul wrote that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. There are some things that are hard to understand that Paul wrote, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction and they do the, as they do the other scriptures. It is clear here that Peter recognizes what Paul, a New Testament apostle, wrote as scripture. So both the New and the Old Testaments are part of Scripture. And they were inspired by God. They were inspired by God. And that is why when we read the Bible, when we read the inspired Word of God, we can clearly hear God speak. That is why we don't need any other voices because God reveals Himself through Scripture. He's made Himself known through Scripture. He's made himself known through Scripture. And when he speaks, we can be confident. When Scripture speaks, we can be confident that God is speaking as well. And that is why Paul would remind Timothy to pay attention to this, to pay attention to the fact that Scripture, not part of it, not some of it, all Scripture is breathed out by by God. And there's implications because if Scripture is breathed out by God, if Scripture comes from God, then it is true. Then it is true. If Scripture comes from God, it is true because there's no lie in God. God cannot lie. So if, if, if we believe that Scripture comes from God, is inspired by Him, is breathed out by Him, He used human beings to write what He wanted them to write so that what they wrote was exactly what came from Him, what, was exactly what He wanted them to say, we can trust it. We can say, this is true. There aren't any errors in Scripture. We can say, there are no errors in Scripture. So if, if Scripture is, is indeed breathed out by God, we can, we can trust it. We can trust it. Psalm 119, says, Therefore I esteem right your precepts concerning everything. I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. Why? Because your precepts, your word, your laws, your testimonies are inerrant. There's no error in what is in Scripture. 
what are the implications? What are the implications of the fact that scripture was written by God? It's truth that is unchanging. It is truth that is unchanging. It has stood the test of time. It's stood the hardest scrutiny. We can trust it. It's not changing forever. Oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.89 Forever your word is settled in heaven. We can trust it. It's unchanging. We can rely on it. We can rely on it. It's insightful. It's insightful. Psalm 119.99 says, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I've got more insight. It gives me insight into things that matter. It gives me insight about who man is, who God is, what scripture is, what man, man, what, what God requires of man. It gives me insight. It gives me wisdom in terms of how do I live a life that pleases God. It gives me insight in terms of how do I live with my neighbor. The word of God is insightful. If it comes from God, then it is insightful. It is practical. It is practical. You know, it's not some philosophical idea that that just displays my understanding of philosophy, but it's absolutely useless in terms of just making life practical. You know, Psalm 119 says, um, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It lightens my, it enlightens my, um, my, uh, 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 my, my path. Because of the word, I, I can see where I'm supposed to go. I can see what is it that is required of me. I know how to please God by his help. It's practical. J.R. Parker says, Scripture provides clear and exact guidance for every detail and department of life. And if we come to Scripture teachably and expectantly, God himself sends hearts a clear certainty as to how we should behave in each situation that faces us. It's practical. It's practical. It's effective when applied by the help of the Holy Spirit. It it helps solve human problems. It helps change our hearts. It helps change our hearts when the word is applied in our hearts and our minds and the spirit of the Lord accompanies that word. It changes our hearts. It changes our hearts. Psalm 119, again, verses one, verse 133 says, Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Brothers and sisters, if we do not have the word stored in our hearts, if we do not read the Bible, we will sin. You know, each time we sin, it is an indication that we do not spend as much time studying the word of God. Because when it is applied with the help of the Spirit, it produces change in our hearts. John 8, 31, 32 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, 
if you continue in my word, then you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's the word of God. It's nourishing. Again, First Timothy 4, 6 says, in pointing these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of, of, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. He says to Timothy, that you'll be nourished if you speak. Do you believe the word of God? Do you study it? Do you treasure the word of God? Do you treasure scriptures? Do you love scriptures? Do you love scriptures? Do you have a healthy dosage of scriptures every single day? As it has been um, evident in my own life, I am sinning. I am sinning. So the call for us is to be excited about this word, to believe that it comes from God, to believe that it will cause um, change in our lives so that we live lives that please God, um, that we live lives um, that um, God can look at and be, and be pleased. And again, it's not... It's not legalistic. It's not do A, B, C, D. By the grace of God, even as we've seen in the beginning of chapter 2, by the grace of God, he enables us. He enables us to love his word. Are we crying out? Lord, help me read more. Help me study your word more. Help me obey you more as I read. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word. Um, uh, we pray, Father God, that you will um, cause change in our hearts um, through your word, uh, applied by, by your spirit. So we ask you, Father God, and, and we ask you to forgive us because we've not treasured your word. We, we've not loved your scriptures. Uh, we've taken it for granted and um, um, we've uh, not treated your word with the reverence um, which he deserves. So, Father God, help us. Help us to love your word. Also, help us, Father God, to hear you when you speak and help us to love to obey you, Father God. Um, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.